I am wary when a CEO makes himself part of the show. And Steve Jobs was very much, for rightly or wrongly, very much part of the show. Tim Cook likes to stay in the background. And, and, and another example I'm going to give you here is what I call the dueling Bobs Disney. Bob Iger, Bob Chapek. Bob Iger absolutely makes himself part of the show. I'm Chris Hill, and that's Motley Fool senior analyst Jim Gillies. We're putting an investor's lens on the TV show Succession, the award-winning HBO series about Waystar Royco, a fictional media conglomerate, and the drama that surrounds the family running the business. Ricky Mulvey caught up with Gillies to talk about the real-life companies that parallel Waystar Royco and the challenges of investing in larger-than-life CEOs. And before you start listening, let me warn you right now, this episode does include spoilers for Succession. So if you watch the show and you haven't caught up through episode five of season four, consider yourself warned. With my spoiler alert out of the way, let's get started. So while I'm giving people time to to tune out if they haven't seen season four, episode five, I'm, we're gonna I want to vamp a little bit outside of the show. <laughs> I think CEO succession for a lot of a lot of businesses is um, often followed, but I don't know if it's actually important to track. It's really difficult to judge, and also asking people who are CEOs uh, what's going to happen after you pass on is a bit like asking someone the details of their will. Yeah, the 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 ability to really step in it rather quickly is um, it's it's very much there. And I don't uh, having asked a few people what's in their wills. I I think succession. I think it's important, and I and I hope you hear the uncertainty in in, in my voice there, because I. I think we somehow occasionally, I, we need to remember that CEOs are people and people are complicated and people are nuanced and people have their own interests and sometimes those interests aren't aligned with yours as an investor. Yes, that's true, even with the best CEOs. Um, you know, I'm looking at you, Warren Buffett. And we have to remember that things are complex and sometimes one of my, one of my all-time favorite um, CEO succession stories uh, is... Do you, where were you the day Steve Jobs died? Uh, I remember it well. I was in New York at my friend's place, and she said, you know, oh, golf word, expletive deleted. She says, oh, blank, Steve Jobs just died. And I go to look, and of course, the, the, it, was after, it was after of hours when they announced it, and uh, Apple stock price did not react well, I'll put it that way. Except what really changed, you already kind of had... Steve Jobs' hand-picked successor was already kind of running the company. Like Before that, that would be, of course, Tim Cook. And I will argue Tim Cook has been a much better CEO than Steve Jobs ever could have been post-iPhone. He died in 2011, of course, but the iPhone was 2007. Um, he has been a better CEO than Jobs would have been in a post-iPhone era for investor returns, which, of course, as an investor, I care about. But on the day that he died, on the day that Steve Jobs died, people very clearly thought, oh no, this is terrible, this is a disaster. And the world has unfolded very differently from there. So that's why I say I'm not sure. I, I think it matters, but I'm not sure. Um, wait, one sec, I want to zero in on before we keep moving. You said looking at you, Warren Buffett. <laughs> he's been He's been like, pretty good for, for stock investors, right? He has. And I, I love Uncle Warren, and I'm going to the Berkshire meeting in a couple of weeks, or by the time uh, this airs, I guess, in next weekend. 
But one of the succession things that uh, that Uncle Warren has put in place is that the the chairman of the board, once uh, Warren and Charlie exit stage left, uh, they've already picked a successor to, to run the business and also to invest. Uh, but the chairman of the board is supposed to be Howard Buffett, uh, who is, quote unquote, to preserve his son, his oldest son, to preserve the culture at Berkshire, you know, the company he doesn't work for and has shown no aptitude or any kind of managerial, you know, those types of uh, skill set. I'm like, okay, why? Like, why do we need, I mean, you know, not, not to call Howard Buffett a Nepo baby, but he's kind of a Nepo baby, right? <laughs> like he'll, he'll, be, he'll be installed in the, okay, fine, sort of figurehead job. But still, like, War, you think Warren Buffett would have, um, would, would, I mean, you know, Warren Buffett, who, who you know, famously has a, a long-term relationship with Bill Gates, of course, founder, CEO, former CEO of Microsoft, as well as, you know, understanding, you know, during the Balmer years at Microsoft, not a hell of a lot happened, but then they got, you know, a true rock star, in my opinion, Satya Nadella, who has taken Microsoft to even greater heights. I don't know. I, I just I've never bought into Howard Buffett's going to preserve the culture. That's so funny. You're afraid to call him a nepo baby. He's going to be the chairman of the board because of who his dad is. I'm like, absolutely calling him a nepo baby. You said <laughs> okay. Well, I I'm I'm being a little I'm being a little disingenuous there. Yeah, Fair I, enough. I'm yeah. afraid to call him that, but I'm absolutely calling him that. So. Yeah, can, can a coke and common sense guy is putting his kid who doesn't want to run the company at the at the helm, and in the case of succession. It's not really clear if the, the, the kids actually want to run the company. You've had your time. We're, we're getting into spoilers now. <laughs> okay, here we go. Starting generally, watching this season, watching this show, are have there been times where you watch it and you go, huh, this, this rhymes with something I've seen in real life? I generally think that second-generation CEOs, second-generation taking over, I'm generally not a fan. I'm generally not a fan. Sorry, Howard Buffett. I'm I'm generally not a fan because it's it's a difficult job. It's a complex job. Why do you think that just because you share some DNA with the the previous holder of the position that you will be as good? You know, and uh, Roy Disney comes to mind as well. One of my one of my favorite uh, activist investing stories on that one too. Um, so. When I look at what's gone on with Succession, the show, first off, um, I don't know that there's ever, I, don't, I can't think of a better pairing of writer and actor to deliver the lines than uh, Kieran Culkin and uh, Roman Roy. I just give that guy all the awards because he's hilarious. Uh, but, you know, what strikes me and has always struck me with this show, of course, there's four children. You know, there's 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 Kendall and 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 Roman and Siobhan and oh yeah Connor from the first marriage who's over there being delusional, um, but he wants a certain succession too if you know the plot lines. These kids are profoundly damaged by by their father and the presence and this the scale of their father of who he is of what he has built and. I would think, if this were a real corporation and a real storyline, I would be very reticent to have any of them taking over. I think probably Siobhan is probably the most qualified. But there's there's a lot of entitlement in the two, um, in, in Roman and Kendall. They, they, you know, they, they, they feel they deserve it. They, of course, are 
currently uh, co-CEOs in the show, if you've watched Up to Kill List, the most recent episode. And But the, there's constant angling for position. There's constant working against each other. Uh, there's co- constant palace intrigue, we'll call it. Uh, Kendall, in particularly, is a profoundly damaged human being, in my opinion, who is just looking for daddy's love. Again, I think probably the one who's the most confident. And I think the one that Logan, uh, the, the patriarch of the family, what, I think the one he probably was closest to and thought could probably do the job best uh, was Siobhan. I look at these characters and I'm like, I think the, I, I actually think the best thing for investors in the show uh, would, would be that they, that they the storyline right now, fools, for those who don't know, is that they're in, in the wake of the patriarch's exit from the stage. They are debating whether to keep the company or sell the company to a, a Swedish uh, interest. And uh, I'm sitting there going, oh, no, you sell and you take your money and you go sit on a beach and roll around in your dollars. A Swedish vampire. I mean, I think that's a Swedish vampire. <laughs> I, but I think that makes it more realistic. I. I think what you said that the fact that they're profoundly gro- broken, they're not qualified for the job. Like in some ways, doesn't that offer more verisimilitude to, to like CEO succession in some cases where the person mm-hmm. who gets the job, it's not necessarily because of their skill. In oh. the case of succession, it's yeah. because Kendall Roy's name was half crossed out, half underlined, and he was able to capitalize it at the right moment. Like yeah. that, even if it's not successful, that's that's played out before. Yeah, I mean, I, I've got a couple. I was I was trying to think of before we did uh, before we did this. I was just trying to think of um, a couple of examples of family succession I've seen. Yeah. Uh, and uh, these companies are both gone now, so don't don't bother looking it up. Uh, the two that came to mind. Uh, do you do you remember Dress Barn? I think the stores might still be around. Um, I always thought I'm it was shaking Dress my Barn. head no. Yeah, I always thought Dress Barn was kind of funny because, you know, hey, honey, I want to buy you something nice. Let's go to Dress Barn. But they were the parent company of several uh, concepts. So Dress Barn, Maurice's, uh, Justice, which was for uh, younger girls, a couple more. Anyway, they were a fine family-run business. You had uh, the family still owned. It was a husband and wife who'd founded the company. The husband had passed on. Uh, the wife was still on the board. I believe the son was the CEO. So there's your succession, your family succession. Uh, and I think the daughter was on the board as well. And I think the family had about 25% of the stock still. And look, it was a niche retailer. It's making the family a few million bucks a year, like what their take home was. Like that's a, that's a decent, that's a nice little life, right? Yeah. But again, it's the hubris of wanting to get bigger, which might be coming into the TV show succession in the most recent episode, especially, um, but the hubris of wanting to get bigger, uh, Dress Barn, again, they owned Maurice's. I think they acquired Justice, and then they went out and acquired uh, Ann Taylor, and I, I'm pretty sure it was Ann Taylor and Lane Bryant. Um, I, forgive me, fools, if I've, if I've misread the names. But then they, they went out, so they, they levered up to go buy these other brands, because we're going to have this, like, you know, a whole suite of brands. And then they had a really big, we're going to do uh, uh, new new distribution centers, and we're going to spread out across the country. And, and uh, they basically leveraged themselves into bankruptcy. They destroyed generational wealth. The, the family's stock holdings uh, were nine figures worth, right? And, and like I said, they were already, the family was still pulling a couple million bucks a year collectively in addition to having those shares. Like, like rather than sell their shares and, and, and bank your hundred plus million dollars and just 
going and sitting on a beach, which I promise you I would do. They they destroyed it. They went it went into bankruptcy. So so that's one I thought was bad. And then another one that's like since since we're sort of in a slow moving banking crisis right now, Ricky, I figured I'd give you some banking fun. Uh, there was a, a bank called Irwin Financial. Um, it was in the the Midwest going into the credit crisis, and they had been a big deal. They had uh, they had uh, paid a, a dividend and a growing dividend for a couple of decades, I think, heading into 2007 2008. The CEO was the fourth generation of the Irwin family. Like fourth generation, he he always seemed very a lot more interested in doing good works and appearing on charitable boards and being all over the place. I I don't think he was really connected with the business, but because he was the fourth generation and there was family there again, there's family wealth and you know he was controlling a trust that owned uh, whatever percentage of the bank. But he was sitting on like ten or fifteen charitable boards and doing good works and all I, things that by themselves are good, but. But while he was doing that, he was ignoring the fact that the lending standards at his bank had completely gone off the rails. And so when and then, you know, the mortgage crisis of 2007 through 2009 shows up, uh, long story short, wiped out his business and again, destroyed generational wealth, fourth generational wealth here. So, so I would, uh, you know, if I'm on the board, if I am looking for the, trying to pick the successor of uh, Waystar Roco, if I'm on that board, I'm like, you know, I'm I'm sitting here going, well, well, anyone but a Roy, like, like, no, like, not we're we're not gonna we're not gonna go with this uh, nepo baby succession plan. Yeah, it's it's the confusion of of business of bloodline for business savvy, and I think you bring up a good point, and maybe uh, maybe we'll be wrong about this, but I could very well see that being the end of the show, which is mm-hmm. the destruction of generational wealth. Right now, they're in a position. Gojo's offered them some, I don't know the value of the deal, and I think that's deliberate, but an insane amount of money to take over the entire company. And they're allowed to just walk away. But now you have Roman Kendall as co-CEOs. While they're on the plane there, patting themselves on the back for doing a great job as CEO. Hey, and and I think someone reminds them that they've only been at the job for 24 hours. Yes. They are also terrible at it. You see them when they walk in with Lucas Matson in the latest episode, the the Swedish um, tech billionaire. They're they're getting dogged. They realize that that they're not punching at their weight class and that they're they're going to get steamrolled by this guy. Yeah, and you know, ironically, the the last again spoilers, fools. Uh, the the last scene where Roman just goes off on him on Madsen at the top yeah. of the mountain, and it ultimately results in a better deal offered to them. But you know, the words coming out of his mouth, he's not negotiating. He is he is letting his bile and his anger and his disgust at the whole process just wash over Matson, and then it ultimately ends up in a in a in a better offer to, for his company. And so, as you say, you know they're they're being all self congratulatory in the plane over to Norway, and they're looking very happy with themselves. And the way back, they just look like beaten dogs. Yeah, and he, he and wants Madsen knows it, and Madsen knows it, and he has Shiv send him a picture. Yeah, it's it's. Fantastic. I think I think something remarkable about that scene too is it's the first time that at least as a viewer I've been confident that Roman was telling the truth. Yes. He's at a point where he's so broken that the sarcasm breaks down, the humor breaks down, his language breaks down to the point where he has no other option but to tell the truth. And then even in Matson in that moment says, uh, "You lost." Like in, in 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 telling the truth and saying how you actually feel, you've you've lost the game basically. And and now I can now I can beat you. 
Thinking of Matson, though, I want to turn. I want to turn the attention to him and see if pick, pick your brain to see if we can find some parallels there. This episode, he kind of he he becomes a character. So Lucas Matson, the Swedish tech billionaire, forces the Roy family to come to him in in Norway for a retreat, days after the death of their father, to negotiate a business deal that could have been a phone call, which is that he wanted them to know that they wanted the, the cable news network or the the news network ATN back into the deal. And this is the episode that reveals that Lucas Matson's a vampire. Physically, <laughs> he's sending half liters of his blood to uh, the comms director, who's, who's his ex-girlfriend. The actor, Alexander Skarsgård, was also in, in True Blood, so there's a little bit of an illusion there. The coldness of his character and also his admission that he wants to take, take ATN, take Waystar Royco, and buy it and strip it for parts. I think those are two of the biggest like symbols that that, that it's a vampire storyline, and I think that is also very common in business acquisitions in the publicly traded investment world. It is, and and that's what, I'm actually going to go back to the Buffett line as well here, uh, where one of the aspects of the culture of Berkshire, something maybe that Howard Buffett is going to be tasked once Uncle once Warren is gone, is. Buffett famously talks about if you sell to us, we're not in the business of stripping for parts of, 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 you know, ripping out what we can and maybe selling it in five years. If you sell to us, it is forever. And specifically, if you sell to us, you will get to continue managing your own business. We're, we, we can't provide new management. So, you know, we're largely going to, you know, be hands off. The idea that acquisitions are made and... I mean the the whole the whole concept of a kill list. The title of the of the of the episode is when you have two companies, one company acquires another company, and they're meshing two organizations. It's the acquirer builds a so-called kill list, a list of the people they do not slash will not need at you know the the combined company. And I mean, and that and that is the. Uh, you know that is the the great problem for a lot of acquisitions. If you are if you are acquired, I mean if you're acquired and you've got a, a whole ton of stock and you're getting a nice buyout, I mean this could be great. Uh, but you're probably going to lose control of your baby and or your job. And 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 if you're fine with that, okay. But a lot of the rank and file, you know, won't. I mean, you know, if you're you know, you're the corporate treasurer and you're far down the org ladder and you probably don't, you know, your, your salary, you need a salary to, to, to make, make your mortgage and eat time to bone up on that resume because you're probably not going to have a job tomorrow or the, uh, you know, if one company acquires another company and the sales force, you know, they've each got a sales force. Well, you know, you know, you know, who's going away and it's yeah. not the sales force of the existing business. So no company needs two CFOs. No company needs two, two CFOs. I think the one story that, that might be closest to this show is the story of uh, uh, Louis Vuitton, Bernard Arnault. Yep. So for those who don't know, it's, it's, this guy is the, he is the richest person in the world, surpassed, surpassed your guy Musk, surpassed, um, who was the other person in the running? I can't think of it. It was Musk, Bill Gates, but now it's Bernard Arnault, is the richest person in the world, running Louis Vuitton, and he has five children who have essentially been jockeying for the CEO job all of their lives and has mm -hmm. made the promise, oh, this is going to be a meritocratic decision. It's going to go to one of them, like highly educated, train them to be like business, like to be elite business people. And what he did, I think earlier this year was he just raised the retirement age of his company from 74 
to 80 years old. And how old Just is so he? Just so he can play a few more, so he can play a few more seasons. He's 74. Exactly. Yeah. He wants six more he, years. I wonder why he did it. And that's kind of the case with a lot of succession stories. And this was the case in succession where we're going to have this promise that I'm going to, you know, the, the leader's going to step down as CEO, but we'll see when it actually happens. That That's kind of been going on at JP Morgan too. Yep. And, and I, I am going to go back to the show for a minute and I'm going to go back to the first season because of course the, the show starts with Kendall as the heir apparent. Kendall, I mean, it, it, it starts with we're about to coronate Kendall yeah. Roy as the natural successor to Logan Roy, played by the brilliant Brian Cox. And basically, Kendall, who again is is a bag of anxieties. Frankly, he's he's completely unsuited for it. And you know, he kind of screws up. And and Dad takes the opportunity to say, "Yeah, I'm going to stick around again," much like Bernard Arnault here. But if you go back and watch the 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 old seasons again, so the two boys or the two younger boys, because uh, again, the fourth child from the first marriage, Connor's just kind of over in the corner doing whatever Connor's doing. The boys are enmeshed in the in the company, and they are, you know, again, they're they're currying for favor and and trying to please daddy, but also they hate daddy. And Siobhan is out. Siobhan's a PR consultant. She's yeah. out. And. The way, if you go back and watch those early episodes, the way that Brian Cox talks to her and you can see the affection that he holds her. And now he's still uh, fairly um, coarse languaged and he's still he's still Logan Roy. So he tends to run over everything in his path. But the way he talks to her versus the way he talks to the kids or to the the, the boys, uh, you can see he actually respects her more than his son's. Because she's left, because she's gone out on her own, because she's gone and built a career independent of him. Uh, did did she surely have um, uh, the ability to get you know to get places that you or I couldn't get because she had family connections? Of course, but you know she she has you know she's very clearly the apple of his eye, and. He his the way he interacts with her and, and what changes is when she comes and works for him, then she slots in with the with the brothers and becomes just another kind of, you know, everyone like, like it's the worst thing that she does personally is to actually come and work for her father because she loses that autonomy and she loses her father's respect. And it's kind of tragic. Do you think there are any takeaways for investors from 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 the show Succession? I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a couple. Uh, okay. One is really quick. I, I am wary of, uh, you know, the succession plan is based on DNA. Uh, I, I like a true meritocracy. Uh, I, uh, I want the best person for the job, and I don't particularly care where they came from. So that's number one, and that's very broad. Uh, the narrow one, I, I do have one more example of, of just the, something that I'm going to want to avoid. Because, look, most of the time you don't really see when a CEO transition is coming. And when it comes quite often, like, you know, like I, it, it's very easy for me, for me to say, you know, succession, uh, Tim Cook versus Steve Jobs. Uh, Tim Cook is a much better CEO than Steve Jobs could have been for Apple. Yeah, but it's twelve years of experience I can draw on, right, to make that assertion. In the moment, you don't know about it, but I am, and 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 part and parcel of that assertion is I am wary when a CEO makes himself part of the show. And Steve Jobs was very much, for rightly or wrongly, very much part of the show. Tim Cook likes to stay in the background. And and, and another example I'm going to give you here is um, uh, what I call the dueling bobs. 
okay, the, at Disney, Bob Iger, Bob Chapek. Bob Iger absolutely makes himself part of the show, okay? He has so much power, and he, he did the whole, oh, all shucks, you know, I mean, I'm going to... Yeah. He was doing that for years before he actually left in 2020. Then his handpicked successor, Bob I, or Bob Chapek, comes in, and he's almost immediately and constantly undermined by board member Bob Iger, former CEO Bob Iger, right? And, you know, he's blamed for stuff. I will note that Disney hit its all-time share price high under Bob Chapek. Just going to put that out there. But, you know, Iger's constantly you know, undermining him, even though, you know, the world is upside down. We, their parks are closed due to COVID. Uh, you, know, the, you know, everything is just off kilter completely. He's inherited the debt associated with the Fox, uh, Fox acquisition, which was made under Bob Iger. He is inherited, um, you know, what I, you know, I, I, I'm of the opinion most streaming services are going to basically provide value to subscribers and no value to companies. Um, sorry, Netflix, sorry, Prime. And Disney Plus, by all accounts, is losing money, right? Because he inherits that. And so he's just beset on all sides. And then, and, and he even got the wonderful stamp of approval from the board, we, it, which, I mean, at that point, I hope he started his resume polishing it up. But he, he gets the stamp of approval from the board, I think, about seven or eight months before Bob Iger knifes him in the back once the pandemic is largely over and he can reascend and and then bob Iger almost immediately starts like oh shucks i'm not going to be here that long yeah okay if i'm if i'm the ceo candidate for the next time bob Iger's wanting to leave and you know i am not but if i was one of the potential candidates i would have my my employment contract drawn up where like i get a billion dollars if bob Iger sets foot on disneyland park ever like <laughs> get, like you can't trust the scenario. You might as well just give it to Iger until he dies because no one's going to trust him. And so you've now got this kind of fiat state run by Bob Iger. And I think that detracts. And look, Disney's share price returns have been you know, mediocre for years, frankly, which is bizarre for a company that owns childhood. So I, I just... <laughs> I, Tell me I'm well, wrong. Right? I think one reason you're not going to be the CEO is the promise that the streaming service will never, ever make money. But no, I see what you're saying. I think something that Iger and Jack Welch actually have in common is that mm. um, there might have been a deliberate, and I'm saying may, possibly, who knows, <laughs> a deliberate almost sandbagging of the replacement where you don't want the next person because no one can do the job quite like you can. Exactly. So whether it's Jeff Immelt, Bob Chapek, they come in as the handpicked successor from the CEO, and there may be a subliminal knowledge from that person that it's not it's not going to run as well as it could under me because that's impossible. Yep, and, and and I will I will also note that of course Jack Welch managed to uh, not not just blow up GE with uh, Jeff Emmelt in the background, but uh, he kind of kind of did a deal on uh, Home Depot too, right? Because Bob Nardelli, who lost out on the GE job, goes to Home Depot. And just was, you know, brutal there for years. And only after he was ousted, which I think was early 07, and, and no tears for Bob Nardelli, he got a quarter billion dollars to go away. But only after he was ousted did, did Home Depot just turn into this fantastic cash generating engine that it, that it has become. And it, I get, you know, like, I think the stock is, I'm going to make up a number, I think it's about 320 bucks today, ballpark. I have very fond memories of Home Depot. You know, you could have bought Home Depot. Have you heard of them? You know, they're they're in one or two cities around North America. 
you could have bought Home Depot for like you know nineteen dollars on on the in, in the wake of Bob Nardelli's exit, which to me is just fascinating. It's so much value is created, but you know again, Bob Nardelli. Candidate for GE, loses out in GE, goes over and tries to apply the GE method at Home Depot and fails miserably. And I think that's another lesson is just because you might have come from a system that has a much vaunted CEO, I'm not sure that you go to a different culture, a different company, it's going to translate. It might, in fact, just explode. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. And The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.